Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.
Thank you. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Thank you. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 2, Daksha Curses Lord Shiva, Text 22. In Householder Life, Kuta Dharmeshu. Of pretentious religiosity. Shaktaha, being attracted. Gramya Sukha Ichaya, by desire for material happiness. Karma Tantram, fruit of activities. Vitanute, he performs. Vedavada, by the explanations of the Vedas. Vipinadhi, intelligence being lost. Griheshu Kuta Dharmeshu Sakta Gramya Sukhechaya Karma Tantram Vitanute Vedavara Vipanadihi Kriheshu Kutta Dharmeshu Sakta Gramya Sukhechaya Karma Tantram Vitanute Vedavada Vipanatihi Kriheshu Kutta Dharmeshu Sakta Gramya Sukhechaya Karma Tantram Vitanute Vedavara Vipanatihi Yeshu Kutta Dharmeshu Sakta Gramya Sukhechaya Karma Tantram Vitanute Vedabhara Vipanitihi Yeshu Kutta Dharmeshu 
Householder life. Oh yeah, sorry, thank you. Um, translation and purport by His Divine Grace. A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada, Ki Jai. Thanks, Ruru. <laughs> Pretentiously religious householder life in which one is attracted to material happiness and thus also attracted to the superficial explanation of the Vedas, robs one of all intelligence and attaches one to fruit of activities as all in all. So please repeat. Pretentiously religious householder life in which one is attracted to material happiness and thus also attracted to the superficial explanation of the Vedas. Robs one of all intelligence and attaches one to fruit of activities as all in all. Srila Prabhupada's purport, Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Persons who identify with bodily existence are attached to the fruit of activities described in the Vedic literature. For example, in the Vedas, it is said that one who observes the Chaturmasya vow will attain eternal happiness in the heavenly kingdom. In Bhagavad Gita, it is said that this flowery language of the Vedas mostly attracts persons who identify with the body. To them, such happiness as that of the heavenly kingdom is everything. They do not know that beyond that is the spiritual kingdom or kingdom of God. And they have no knowledge that one can go there. Thus, they are bereft of transcendental knowledge. Such persons are very careful in observing the rules and regulations of household life. In order to be promoted to the next life, to the moon or other heavenly planets. It is stated here that such persons are attached 
to gramya sukha, which means material happiness, without knowledge of eternal, blissful, spiritual life. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swaman Ittinamine Namaste Saraswate Deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Sunyavadi Pasjatya Deshatarine Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasiri Gaurabhaktivinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Om Gyanati Mirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurn Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitana Manobishtan Stapitan Yena Bhutale Swayan Rupa Karamayan Tarati Swaparantikam I'd first like to humbly beg the blessings of their lordships and Srila Prabhupada and the Parampara and all the devotees for your mercy and blessings to say something Krishna conscious. Would someone be able to look up in the index? I lost my place. It, under Vedas, um, if you look alphabetically under Vedas, flowery language. <laughs> Thanks. So, um, does anybody know what pretentiously means? To be pretentious? Sounds like pretend, doesn't it? And does anyone have a... Yes. It's related. <laughs> it's related. Can you give us a... Imposter, huh? Okay, we're getting definition here. Yeah, so, okay, we're going to get the definition here. Somebody's, uh, you know, in playing uh, the part, pretending as uh, an imposter. <laughs> Characterized by pretension, making unjustified or excessive claims as of value or standing. Expressive of affected, unwarranted, or exaggerated importance, worth, or stature. Yeah. Thank you. So, this um, situation here with Daksha um, is quite uh, pretentious in the sense that when uh, one is in the bodily existence, it is like a big pretending you're an imposter, you know, I am this body, I am the great king, but that's not who you are. So uh, dakshas become very pretentious, and then uh, those uh, in general, like here Prabhupada's translating this uh, 
verse, pretentiously religious householder life. Um, and this is Nandishwar. He's like been very angry here. And he's uh, cursing, right? And he's uh, explaining what's going to happen to these personalities uh, who are envious of, of Lord Shiva. And uh, so he's saying that, you know, you'll be bereft of transcendental knowledge, all you sages, Brahmins, Daksha. You're pretending to be something you're really not, and you're in the bodily concept, and you, you pretend that you're, you know, greater than Lord Shiva. You are greater. <laughs> Thank you. Because of externals, Lord Shiva externally to uh, Daksha is very, very um, degraded. <laughs> so here, uh, Nandishwar, he's saying this. And um, it's true that if, if we're attracted to material happiness, if we are an impositor and a pretender, um, if we're trying to get, you know, material happiness and identifying with bodily concept, and we're just fruitive, then we won't have much material intelligence. Like he's saying here, you get robbed of intelligence. You may have an IQ for the material world, but for the spiritual uh, activities of devotional service, there may not be very much intelligence. Um, when uh, robbed of um, your actual uh, understanding of who you are. So, um, Prabhupada explaining in the beginning of the uh, purport about those who are attached to fruit of activities, and sometimes that includes things that we even practice, like um, Chaturmasya. So not everybody practices that, but I do remember um, decades ago when um, one devotee had a question about the Chaturmasya, and Prabhupada does say in Chaitanya Charitamrita in a purport about the, that we should engage in uh, practicing the Chaturmasya. So uh, there was a question about whether uh, devotees should be practicing and observing this in a devotional way. And so um, we contacted that devotee's spiritual master, Satsurup Maharaj, this was many decades ago, and asked him, what, what was going on at 26-2nd Avenue, Maharaj, when you were there and uh, um, at that time of year? And so uh, Maharaj wrote back, and he explained that Prabhupada had instructed them all that they follow the Chaturmasya. So this... Chatur Masya, Chatur is the uh, four Masya of the months. So generally during the rainy season, um, when uh, the uh, brahmanas and sages and saintly persons generally pick one place to reside to, you know, practice their, um, to, their sadhana during the rainy season when it's hard to travel. So this was the Chatur Masya time. And so for us, in this letter, um, Satsarup Maharaj was saying how Prabhupada said, uh, for the first month to um, fast from spinach. 
Now these days it says on the calendar, leafy greens. <laughs> but anyway, that's how um, we heard in the beginning, fasting from shop, you know, the spinach. And then the second month would be uh, fasting from yogurt, and then third month from milk, and fourth month from erdal. So they didn't make any erdal, the doll. Uh, and also we would refrain from taking the papadoms from the restaurant, <laughs> which was uh, austerity for some. <laughs> so that was the, the advice from Shula Prabhupada, or the instruction, and uh, at 26 Second Avenue. And also, I don't know where is the purport in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, but I do remember reading it. And so if you want to find that out on database, you could find that out. We could read it if you do find it. And uh, so this vow, or any vow, or any practice, or any ritual could become fruitive or could become just um, really material ritual in the sense that there's no devotion. So this happens in carrying out rituals that are advised in the Vedas, you know, so that does happen just like with the uh, Jagyak Brahmanas in uh, the Krishna book. They, well, Krishna asked if the cowherd boys would go and request from the brahmanas some um, re remnants from their sacrifice, you know, because he said, tell them that, you know, Krishna and Balaram are, um, and we're all hungry, but don't request in my name, Krishna said, because I'm related to the Vaishya community, but at least Balaram's related so-called, uh, as they see, to the Chatriya community. So the boys went and the Jagyak Brahmanas were um, pretentious and fruitive and in the bodily concept and attached to um, you know, their results of hopefully going to the heavenly planets. <laughs> so uh, so the, the boys didn't get any results the uh, Jagik Brahmanas um, told them, no, you know, just, we're busy here. So what happened was <clears throat> they, um, they were very disappointed and went back and told Krishna, and Krishna said, that's okay because, you know, that happens when you're out begging, as everybody knows, when you're out requesting from the souls or anybody something for, for Krishna for the basis of uh, Krishna consciousness. Uh, so, you know, like we used to go door to door on Sundays back in the 70s to all the houses here and ask for flowers f for our Sunday festival. So we would knock on the door and um, we would say, um, would you like to donate some of your flowers for our um, Sunday festival? And believe it or not, some of the houses that had uh, tons of rose bushes and all kinds of flowers all over and in the backyard and all along the side said no. We said, oh, well, thank you anyway and have a really nice day and 
if there's anything we can do for you, we'd love to be of service. And they would just, you know, they would, anyway, pretentious, <laughs> pretentiously trying to be um, householders on the block. So, uh, and then there were others who were happy to give. So uh, that's why Krishna told the boys, now go and ask from the wives of these brahmanas and see what they have to say. So, um, or just like these people that didn't want to give anything, they said, no, we can't really afford to give. We said, could you give like one rose? As they had about maybe 500. And they said, no, but you could go next door because they have one rose bush and I think they might give you. <laughs> so that's like Krishna saying, um, Okay, now go to the wives of the brahmanas. Now you're going to have some luck there. So uh, the wives of the brahmanas, they were devotional, and their attitude was, um, you know, they had heard of Krishna, and they were attracted, and they were devotional, and they were not pretentious, and they weren't attached to the body, and they weren't concentrating on going to the heavenly planets and attaining all the fruity results from Karmakanda section of the Vedas. So they agreed with all humility and happiness to feed Krishna and Balaram and all the boys. And they were just very, very dedicated, very, very sweet. So what happens is the brahmanas, like in this pastime, they uh, become attached to flowery language of the Vedas. And uh, their whole idea is elevation for um, better, you know, sense pleasures and things like that. So first I'm going to read well, maybe I'll read this one first about flowery language. This is um, Bhagavad Gita 253. When your mind is no longer disturbed by the flowery language of the Vedas, and when it remains fixed in the trance of self realization, then you will have attained the divine consciousness. So uh, it seems like. If something's like very flowery and poetic in language, that that would be very nice. I mean, everybody likes flowers, right? We have on the altar and the garlands. So uh, why would uh, why would flowery language be a disturbance to the mind? We can look here in uh, this purport, and then you may have some um, realizations. So, um, Prabhupada's explaining in the purport that what we need to do is um, serve Krishna. That's our duty. So we should um, discharge our duties in Krishna consciousness. And... Um, we should not be engaged in uh, fruitive activities. 
because uh, this, this language that attracts um, the uh, fruit of workers is, seems you know, very sweet and flowery because it tells you all the different you know, material pleasures and, and uh, you know, higher sense gratification that you will obtain if you, you know, follow this, these sections of the Vedas. And so that, that seems very, you know, sweet. And uh, then Prabhupada's saying, in Krishna consciousness, one comes directly into communion with Krishna, and thus all directions from Krishna may be understood in that transcendental state. One is sure to achieve results by such activities and attain conclusive knowledge. One has to only carry out the orders of Krishna or his representative, the spiritual master. So uh, there's, you know, sections of the Vedas that give a lot of knowledge about the heavenly worlds, and uh, that knowledge is not giving um, full um, realization of who we are beyond this material realm, because the heavenly realm is still in the material world. So uh, why would this be um, something that we want to avoid, you know? What's, what's wrong with, you know, very flowery, poetic language? What is, what's wrong with that? Or is anything wrong with it? Or what, what is right? It's just like you're going to get um, good birth and good, you know, fruit of reactions from flowery sections of the Vedas. So what's wrong with that? Um, well, maybe we'll um, discuss a little bit of that later and uh, maybe have some uh, ideas about that. So uh, also, Krishna explains in uh, chapter 2, text 53. Oh no, that's the one I just read. Okay, text 42 to 43. Uh, men of small knowledge are very much attached let's see, yeah, to the flowery words of the Vedas which recommend various fruit of activities for elevation to heavenly planets, resultant good birth, power, and so forth, being desirous of sense gratification and opulent life. They say that there is nothing more than this. So um, just like a flower can be used for Krishna, right? Or it could be used um, materially like someone may um, want to decorate somebody's dead body um, to uh, give all homage to the body. Or uh, someone may be thinking of flowers uh, for uh, their own um, sense enjoyment, you know, looking at, smelling, appreciating, but having no idea that they have any connection to the Supreme Lord. And so, therefore, 
um, flowery words can be like that. They may have no connection to Krishna and his devotional service. So this is the whole gist that rituals, and we can relate to this maybe in our everyday life, that you know maybe we're chanting japa or we're doing deity worship or whatever we're doing, but we um, maybe forgot the the spiritual or devotional thing. We're thinking of the ritual aspect, not the spiritual and devotional aspect. And then we think about um, more our own sense gratification, right? Well, let me just, you know, clock in and clock out, and then I've got time to, you know, to uh, listen to some, you know, good rap music. <laughs> Not devotional. <laughs> so, anyway, whatever it is. So, um, Prabhupada is explaining that people in general are not very intelligent. And this is what Nandishvar is saying. You know, look, you're, you're all going to be robbed of your intelligence in this assembly here because you did not, you know, recognize the greatness of Lord Shiva. You're, you're, you're not going to have any intelligence. So um, this is what happens in bodily concept. So Prabhupada's explaining that in the purport. People in general are not very intelligent. Why? Um, due to their ignorance. They are most attached to the fruit of activities recommended in the karmakanda portions of the Vedas. They do not want anything more than sense gratificatory proposals for enjoying life in heaven where wine and women are available and material opulence is very common. In the Vedas, many sacrifices are recommended for elevation to the heavenly planets, especially the Jyotistoma sacrifices. In fact, it is stated that anyone desiring elevation to heavenly planets must perform these sacrifices. And men with a poor fund of knowledge think that this is the whole purpose of Vedic wisdom. It is very difficult for such inexperienced persons to be situated in the determined action of Krishna consciousness, as fools are attached to the flowers of poisonous trees without knowing the results of such attractions. Unenlightened men are similarly attracted by such heavenly opulence and sense enjoyment thereof. So Nandishvar is more or less condemning <laughs> everyone there who's you know, sided with Daksha that, you know, this is going to be your situation. You're going to be bereft of knowledge and intelligence. You're going to be fruitive, and, and basically, you're just falling down um, completely into material life. And uh, you're, in other words, you are doomed. And then, in the 11th chapter of the Gita, text 53, 
The form you are seeing, this is universal form chapter, you are seeing with your transcendental eyes cannot be understood simply by studying the Vedas, nor by undergoing serious penances, nor by charity, nor by worship. It is not by these means that one can see me as I am. So, in the purport, Prabhupada's explaining, this mystery is very difficult to understand for those who are atheists or who are devoid of devotional service. For scholars who have simply studied Vedic literature by way of grammatical knowledge or mere academic qualifications, Krishna is not possible to understand. Nor is he to be understood by persons who officially go to the temple to offer worship. They make their visit, but they cannot understand Krishna as he is. Krishna can be understood only through the path of devotional service, as explained by Krishna in the next verse. So this uh, next verse is, uh, My dear Arjuna, only by undivided devotional service can I be understood as I am standing before you and can thus be seen directly only in this way can you enter into the mysteries of my understanding so just like in um, lord chaitanya's pastimes you know you know uh, uh, advaita acharya he was respected by all the brahmanas and they would meet many of the associates great associates of the lord would meet at Advaita Acharya's ashram and they would discuss. Vishvarup, Lord Chaitanya's older brother, used to go, and Lord Chaitanya himself when he was young, and so many other great souls like Haridas Thakur, who was given the, um, the first offering when Advaita Acharya was doing the um, the Shraddha ceremony for his father, and then the most exalted, you know, personality there, Brahman, there would be getting the the uh, first um, offering of those remnants, and that was given by Advaita Acharya to Haridas Thakur, and um, Gopal in the assembly, he he was just very disturbed, you know, it's like like the Daksha mood. He was very, very disturbed because he did not understand the greatness of Haridas Thakur, just like Daksha did not understand the greatness of Lord Shiva. So what happened in that assembly? Gopal started sounding off, you know, and doubting, and um, said, well, you know, if what this Haridas Thakur has to say is true, then, uh, I mean, is... You know, what he's speaking is, is uh, how was it exactly? He was saying, uh, you know, his, if that's not true, then, uh, you know, something really bad's going to happen to him, like his nose is going to fall off, you know. See, in, in other words, he's saying, like, he's not saying reality. He's not speaking knowledge here. He shouldn't be in this assembly. He shouldn't get that first offering. And so just watch everybody. You know, before your very eyes, you're going to see his nose fall off. And so, so then what happened was 
his nose was gradually falling off with leprosy because he insulted Haridas Thakur. I mean, Haridas Thakur didn't take it personally. You know, he didn't like that the holy names were not being glorified by this Gopal. But uh, anyway, so uh, this is what happens um, when uh, one is pretentious in uh, worship or in any activity, you know. So uh, for ourselves, we would, we would think, okay, well, perhaps I don't want to be uh, an imposter anymore. I don't want to be a pretender. So what I need to do is um, take shelter of this devotional service and um, take shelter of the devotees. And just like with uh, Lord Chaitanya's pastimes, so many of great exalted personalities, they didn't have faith in the chanting of the holy names. At first, Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, he was like, you know, the guru to the king. I mean, he was practically like number one pundit in the whole kingdom in uh, Rissa, but he couldn't relate uh, to Lord Chaitanya and the devotees at first until he, you know, got understanding from Goddess Sarasvati and then from his brother-in-law and from realization and mercy from Lord Chaitanya that it's not this, you know, dry ritualistic kind of life. It's devotional service and he became, you know, just ecstatic in chanting the holy names. So, so this is our happiness and so for us maybe sometimes we can learn lessons from these pastimes in everyday life and think, okay, so let's think how not to be so ritualistic in a non-devotional way or ritualistic in a way where um, I could be more devotional. I'm trying to be devotional, but it's, um, it's becoming sort of a rote mechanical activity. So how to be more devotional and how, what are the techniques, the transcendental techniques that you all utilize to do this? So maybe if you like to share your um, realizations of going from rote or ritualistic and mechanistic mixed with some bhakti <laughs> um, to becoming more devotional so that we don't uh, fall into this trap of uh, being uh, caught up in uh, the fruitive results, right? Would anyone like to share anything? It could be also from the pastimes, from the Shastra. You, you get some appreciation from a pastime where you can see that someone was uh, uh, pretentious and then they became devotional or they um, were liberated because of great pretension. <laughs> <laughs> like Karani Kashipu. <laughs> Did anybody have any realizations from that judge of Brahmana pastime? I want to 
First, you said, uh, what's wrong with the flowery language of the Vedas? So I wanted to address that. And, yeah, and you mentioned the, the word less, Prabhupada mentions, less intelligent. It's quite, quite frequent. Matter of fact, um, in the seventh chapter of the Gita, verse 20, Kamas Tair, Tais Tair Ritagyana Prapadyante Nyadevata, that people worship the demigods, they should be considered less intelligent. Um, and even he quotes in that, in that purport, the Akama Sarva Kamova Moksha Karma Udara, the Tibrena Bhakti Yogina. Um, that there's nothing wrong with the flowery language except that it's a bus going nowhere. It's, their destination is not to the final point where you really want to go. So it's, it's meant for less intelligent people. And why is it there? Because there are lots of less intelligent people. It's, we actually expect we may expect people to take up Krishna consciousness in full, but not everybody has the sukriti or the intelligence or the common sense to do it. So for them, so they are not completely abandoned, there are different ritualistic activities and demigods and planets and you know, there's a whole spectacle that Krishna prepare for less intelligent people. So yeah, we have a goal, we know clearly what it is, and there's nothing wrong because without that, they will, they will be lost. I was also thinking about flowery language. There was, when I was studying ancient Greek philosophy, there, um, I think it was Socrates or Aristotle. They would talk. There, there's a group of people called the Sophists, the Sophists, and they were just kind of, you know, rhetoricians that would just, with flowery language, convince anybody. And so then it was either Socrates or Aristotle, but he he would go out of his way to make the point that um, that this isn't real knowledge just by being kind of persuaded by flowery language, because it's because it's empty, it's baseless, and and we can see when we rely on argument or just kind of the intellectual jugglery of words, then our, we, we can't actually be fixed. And like Sarvat Mahaprabhu was saying, we're not actually going to go anywhere. We could just be persuaded anyway. If, you know, when, whenever I hear the next best thing, then I'm going to go that, that direction. Yeah, no fixed goal and it's not substantial. It doesn't actually give you anything. Also, in, um, on the first that first question, I remember reading in, Bhag in a, a Bhagavatam purport, Prabhupada explains that he gives a reason why the word flowery is used, and he says um, a, f a flower is nice, but its niceness is temporary. Basically, I'm paraphrasing that you know there's a, there might be a nice scent or might look nice, but eventually it will wither. And won't be so nice. It won't be nice anymore. There's one comment also. Okay, can you read, please? 
So there's one uh, comment on Facebook from Ananta Govinda. He says, classic pastime on the importance of devotion over the ritualistic format of worship. Sarva Bhoma Bhattacharya, accepting Mahaprasad in the bed without taking a bath first. Unacceptable for a Paka Brahmana, but natural to a devotee who understands the Prasad to be non-different from the love of the Lord. Thank you for that comment. It's really very uh, good uh, example of um, a devotee who's uh, given up all the uh, ritualistic fruit of mentality and has appreciation for the Lord's devotion for prasad. So what would you all do, say, for example, you're engaging in, in a particular service. It could be japa, deity service, cooking, harinam, making garlands, taking care of the flowers, and the, doing service in the pajari room, helping with the websites and all the preaching programs and the management. So what would you do when you detect that you're becoming ritualistic and not devotional. What would you do? Margaret, what would you do? I want to hear from Margaret what she's going to do. Hey, Krishna. Thank you, Mother Nitra, for class today. Um, I... I think that what you do is you, instead of seeing it as a, like you say, ritualistic, sort of you immerse yourself in the, the feeling of this, the essence of Krishna and Radharani, what that means, what that, you think that that feels like, sort of an elevated sense of being, whether you're in the Pujari kitchen baking, you know. When I'm in there, I, I don't think of anything else but just, I don't even think, I just am able to be present there. And in the garden, sometimes when you're, when it's, you know you have to do the needful and maintain it, there's, there's often times where you're surrounded by all of the beautiful aspects of nature, which is Krishna. The dragonflies and the bees and, you know, all of these things that take you out of that moment of, you know, such focused dedication in the sense that you can see all the other elements that are, are beautiful. And that's flowery in the sense, but it's, it's, it's a sense of, um, I, the sort of the underlying essence of what I feel Krishna is, you know. It comes through the heart and, and I don't know, that's, that's what I see if I'm out there. I don't think about why I want to cut the flowers, you know. I think about what those flowers are going to be like in the temple, what they're going to, how they're going to be received by Krishna and the deities. So.
I can offer my two paisas worth of. Uh, I think is um, for someone who is naturally ritualistic, and uh, as Upadesha Shamita denominates a person, uh, Niyamagrahi, someone who follows the rules and regulations for the sake of rules and regulations. I think that person can go on forever doing it because that's all they have, that's all they want. They, uh, they think it's a, it's a mechanistic approach to devotional service. Um, on the other hand, for someone who, is, who has devotion and has tasted the, the beauty of Krishna consciousness, um, I think it's going to be hard for someone to to find their service mechanistic. There's, there's always variety because Krishna is there reciprocating at every instance. Um, Maya may distract us, but I don't know how how that could happen. And sometimes is is an indication that one should change services because yeah you may I mean it's laudable to see that someone is a pujari for their entire career like the twin brothers in Mayapur you know you can't conceive of them doing anything else but that's very rare and Prabhupada said that they're not from here they, they just came to help us so that's kind of an exceptional case. Otherwise, most of us have had many different services and eventually, like water seeks its own level, the, the devotee finds the, the services most appropriate. So I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm helping you very much here. Just thinking to the fact of like, I was revealing my mind to Ananda yesterday that like, I'm very like a productive kind of person. Like, how much did I get done today? Um, was I, yeah. And so sometimes all the RTs for me are like, I'm just swaying back and forth. Like, what am I getting done? So um, he was challenging me to figure out a way to not be so mechanical, to figure out more devotional in those. So like, yeah, just reflecting on um, the prayers that we sing and getting to learn more about what they really mean and really getting to know like each word. And so when I sing it, I actually know what I'm, what I'm singing, not just like a summary, but like really knowing what I'm saying. So. Yeah, I was going to say that as well, like learning, learning. I was thinking today when we were singing Guru Puja, I was just thinking about each word, and it's easy to kind of, you know, just sing sounds because it's Bengali I don't speak Bengali 
but then to actually like learn what these words mean and kind of see how the poetry is being and it's very it's just gorgeous it's so beautiful and all these prayers that we get to sing on a daily basis so learning the meaning and then I was also thinking um, I had asked David Madhava once about uh, how do I find more motivation to go to Mangalarti sometimes Mangalarti is you know I'm not you know, I, I, I wake up and then I, I'm, I'm more interested in reading, right? So I'm like, how do I, how do I get more motivation to like go to Mangalarti? And he said, uh, when, we, when we kind of get in the mind, or for him, he said, when I get in the mindset that I'm not just doing it for myself, but I'm doing it for others. And this kind of extending ourselves, showing up. Um, there's, a, there's a part in the sixth canto, uh, Yamaraj, I think, is instructing his disciples or something like that. He says, you should chant the holy name very enthusiastically to let others know that it's important. Something to this effect. Like, make it, make it most important for you so others know that it's most important. So like that, it's like when I can do any type of service for someone else, setting an example or, or, or just kind of encouraging and keeping momentum, then it, then it becomes larger than myself. Well, I, I didn't say there's a lot of affection. I just said there's a little bit. But, um, yeah, part of it is just showing up. Krishna does a lot of the heavy lifting. You, you do have to just kind of show up. And, and I mean, in the beginning, Krishna will, in my experience, if you just show up, um, you will get the free sample. Like, I remember the first time I went to Mangalarti. I'd never been awake at that time. I didn't know there was a 4.30 in the morning. Right, and it was ecstatic. I felt like I was another another planet. I didn't know what was going on, where where I was. It was so cool. So because I was really pushing my comfort zone, and Krishna knew that, so he just sprinkled some free free taste. So later you have to work a little harder um, because it's a relationship. But I like what Sri Radha said because we're doing this thing in the Brahmacharya Ashram at 9:45. We have a quick sangha, just talk about what we're going to do today. And we take like five minutes to go over um, bhajans. We're going through the morning program. We're finishing up the Tulsi Puja right now. And it's been great, right? Like I, I theoretically know these things. I'm talking about them, what the words mean, the, the Sanskrit roots. And, but I'm discovering like so much more poetry and flavor. And it's, uh, it's great because each of them are created by acharyas, persons with a very particular flavor of love and you know, surrender to Guru and Krishna and Tulsi and Goranga. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to echo that, that it's, it's unlimited. There's unlimited room for exploration. Each one of these songs, you know, Bhatino Thakur has like, what, 200 songs or something? Each one of the songs is like as good as a book. You could write about a book on each song. So it's unlimited opportunity for exploration. And um, another thing is... Uh, that I was a piece of advice I was given that does help is when you get into a uh, a ritualistic mode, then flip the ritual around. Do it in a, if you're doing it in English, do it in Sanskrit. If you're doing it in Sanskrit, doing it in English. If you're if you're doing it with your right hand, do it with your left hand. You know, don't let your brain get into a comfort zone, because um, uh, you know sometimes like if you if you have like an acting troupe and they're all doing like the same repertory acting every night. 
then the director of the troupe will actually like have people deliberately go in off cue to throw the other actors off because then they actually have to adjust, right? So if you find that you're super comfortable and things are super organized and things are super like efficient and they're always the same way, then you should throw things up in the air and see how they come down. <laughs> and uh, because that's what life is going to do to you anyway. And so you may as well be ready. And it's also fun and cool. So that's one thing. What did I do on my part? Well, um, the thing about deity worship is that, like, since you're asking about deity worship, it doesn't, it mostly doesn't have to do with what you're doing on the altar. It mostly has to do with the rest of your day. It's actually like a, it's actually an all-encompassing lifestyle, the Pancharatric. You wake, we actually wake up at the same time as Krishna, practically, just because he's waking up. We wake him up at that time, you know, there's like a whole lifestyle. We eat when, after he eats. There's this whole lifestyle that a devotee has. You know, the devotees are like gathering flowers and going shopping and they're doing all these things and thinking about the next best ingredient for Krishna. And that's like a life, you know, like week-long thing. Just for one little offering takes like practically 20 seconds to offer it. So um, there's a lot that you can do the rest of your time. You can learn stotras and prayers to offer to Krishna. You can actually have a meditation going while you're doing the arti. Like one thing I was told is in a yatra when someone's doing the arti they're actually like representing all the other devotees there that Krishna we're so glad you're here you know this is your welcoming we're, we're really glad to have you but there's like 35 other devotees who are doing service but I'm the one who's been chosen to like welcome you it's like when your Guru Maharaj arrives at the airport and they say you know what can you go pick him up put a flower garland on offer obeisances drive him here it's a huge privilege because everybody wants to do it and you're representing that bhakti so we actually like do that for Krishna several times a day, every day. So if, if we kind of like get used to that, that's a problem. But if you think about it that way, that, you know, this is what we're doing today, Krishna, we're planning for this next event, and this is how everyone's doing, or maybe you offer prayers, um, you know, like around the world, people are thinking of Bhakti Churuswami right now. So I guarantee you they're thinking of Bhakti Churuswami while they're doing their puja. And that's, that's devotional, because otherwise, you know, depending on your level of advancement, you might just space out. So you can think about Sankirtan, you can think about the Bhagavatam, you can think about Leela. I like to put a class on about Srila Prabhupada, so when I'm doing the, the, the puja, I hear Prabhupada preaching to me, and I get purified that way, and I think about how it relates to the person I'm serving in front of me. So, unlimited. There's unlimited things you could do. You just have to kind of try. Thank you. Can I say something from the opposite end? Um... I had never had any attraction for uh, Pujari work and uh, I was worried about it because I know the process includes Pancharatrika Vidis, not uh, um, Bhagavata Vidi only. So uh, I asked my Guru Maharaj, and this was many decades ago, what, what do I do? I have no, I, I've done one Arctic in my life um, and it was by default and you know I was very confused. And, felt completely out of place. Um, so he said, well, do you like to chat for the deities? I said, yeah, I, I absolutely love to chat for the deities. Well, that's, that's the real worship. Uh, so if you chant, so every time I chant for the deities, I try to put 
my heart into it because I know that my entire Pancharatika bidi depends on on that moment because I'm I'm not gonna be holding any incense anytime soon. Uh, and there is one thing that I um, that kind of changed my my view of the the puja or, or the, the ritual of puja, and I, I don't say it with a pejorative sense at all. Um, I was we were actually in Mayapur for uh, the installation of Panchatatva in 2004, and it was kind of like a collective feeling, like thousands of devotees that felt the same thing at the same time, and it was very exalted, very very ecstatic. Uh, and I remember that there was uh, many, many Bujaris. I mean, it was like, like an anthill of, of activity. And one particular devotee, there were like 10, 10 or 12 waving chamaras to the deities. And there was one particular devotee I didn't like at all and didn't get along with. And I felt, for the first time, I felt love for him like happiness because he was actually serving Krishna directly. I mean, that was, of course, that went away quickly. Uh, my, my feelings resumed right after that. But it was, it was actually quite, quite uh, amazing that when you actually reach transcendence, if, if, even for a moment, then everything changes. The perspective is, is a perspective that comes from love of Krishna. So everything is fine. And everybody is, is the same family. It's not like, you know, friends and enemies. And all, one more thing that I, I probably didn't come up with, I probably heard it, that Krishna, in the beginning, like when one, when, when, you know, when you went to Moral Arctic for the first time, when, when you chant Japa in the beginning, there is quite a taste. And... And then the taste is taken away. Because Krishna wants to make sure you choose him and not the taste. So the, the struggle will continue until you actually make the decision that you, you, you want Krishna. You don't want the taste. It's just, the taste, you know, it's nice. It's a fine detail and a nice gift. But you want Krishna. So this is actually probably it should be a good idea for singers, pujaris, anybody, that am I doing this just to get a taste out of it or because it pleases Krishna? It's for his pleasure, not, not for mine. I'm kind of very, very far removed in the, in the priority of, you know, it should please me. It shouldn't be like that. All glories to Srimad Bhagavatam, all glories to Srila Prabhupada, and all glories to assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. Thanks.